Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning, church. How you feeling? That's pretty accurate, right? Yeah. If you're joining with us online, we're so glad that you're with us. Uh, are we glad that they're with us? I, I think so. I'm, I'm going to clap because I'm glad. If you had an opportunity to be face-to-face with God and ask him a single question, what's the question you would ask him? Now, I want you to give us some thought. Because the question that we all have to ask ourselves before we ask him the question that we want to ask him, the question we have to ask ourselves is, can we handle the truth? Can we handle the truth? See, we all probably have a question that comes to mind that we would love to ask God face to face, ask him the question. But can you handle the truth if he answered it? See, in this passage that we're going to look at today in Disruptive Jesus is a time when a man came up to Jesus with a question that he knew he wanted to ask him. But... As we'll find out, a little bit past that, past that point of the question, he started to regret the question that he asked him. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. If you're at home, grab a Bible or it's going to be on the screen with you uh, there as well. Luke 18. Again, I'm going to say it again. If you all don't have a Bible, let me know. We'll get you one. Uh, And if you do, pull that out. It's good. Luke 18. Starting in verse 18, this is what God says. A ruler asked him, asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a pretty good question, right? Like, if you were to grade that question, what would you give it? You guys can talk, you know? Like, I know. It's not a huge, like, it's not a packed room, but y'all can talk. It's okay. It just means it's just you and me right here. That's a pretty good question, I think. That's a pretty good question that he asked him. Now, it's important to understand this uh, is in the same chapter as what we talked about last week. But in between the point where uh, Jesus was telling the story about the Pharisee and the tax collector praying, and and we talked about that, in between that and this, uh, Jesus told, or basically Luke was accounting a moment where uh, Jesus was hanging out and a bunch of people, a bunch of parents brought their kids, their little itty-bitty kids, toddlers probably, babies, that kind of age range, you know, the terrible twos, three nagers, you know what I'm saying? The three-year-olds, I think three is worse than two. I don't know if y'all have a, an opinion about that, but the boys, my twin boys are heading into that space. Um, so it's just furthering my opinion on that. So uh, they were bringing people, bringing kids to Jesus, asking Jesus to bless their kids. And if, if Jesus was walking around among us, we'd probably want to bring our kids, no matter if they're teenagers or not, and be like, hey, bless them, especially if they're teenagers, right? Teenagers, yes, amen. Um, and so Jesus is uh, there, and, and they're trying to bring the kids, and the disciples start to look at Jesus, and they're looking at the kids, they're looking at Jesus, looking at the parents, and they're like, hold up, no, 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 pump the brakes, y'all need to get out of here with these kids, they're too crazy, they're too, you know, they're too much of kids, we do not want them to be around Jesus, and Jesus stops the disciples and says, hey, no, 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 hold on, let the children come to me, and he uses that as a teachable moment because then he tells them, uh, hey, if you adults, you know, you think you've got life figured out or whatever, or maybe now you're old enough that you know that you don't. Um, if you don't receive the kingdom of God like a child, 
you won't receive it. And so right after that, right after Jesus has this teachable moment and tells these adults that unless you receive the kingdom of God like a child, you won't receive it, a ruler comes about. So can you get any different from a child to a ruler? We don't know what kind of ruler he was, but we know that he was a ruler. Someone in charge, someone who had some power, someone who had some influence. And he asks Jesus this question. I just imagine, you know, this guy's a successful, powerful guy. Uh, again, we don't know what level of leadership he was in, but he had some leadership, uh, you know, traits. And he had a leadership position. And he, I'm sure, was like, you know, I got the success, the power that I've got now. I've got this life kind of figured out. But I'm, I want to make sure that my investment portfolio includes eternal life too. Like I've got things kind of going on. I've got things kind of in on track. Me and my financial advisor feel like we're heading in a good place. But I want to make sure that eternal life is right there. I want to make sure that I've got that achieved because this man knew nothing other than achieving exactly what he wanted. But have you ever regretted asking a question? Like after it came out of your mouth, you regretted it instantly. Nobody. Like maybe you just meet someone uh, and you see their shirt is kind of cool. And you're like, oh, that's a cool shirt. I like that. Where'd you get it from? And then that leads to a very long sob story about some kind of pain in their lives. Because that's where they got the t-shirt. Anybody ever been there? And you're like, oh, no. Just me. Cool. All right. Um I think that's where this man got to be. He was like, you know what? Probably shouldn't have asked that question. This is what it says. Luke accounts it for us in verse 19. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Like Jesus, he's saying like a nice thing, like good teacher. Like what do you want him to say? Bad teacher? Like that's not very nice. So why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Verse 20. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And then the man responds, I have kept these, all these, from my youth. So again, remember, he's asking the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and says, why are you calling me a good teacher? Because here's the thing, and as a first century Jew, you would have never associated the word good with a person. Good was only associated with God. And so this man was flippantly saying, Hey Jesus, good teacher, hey man, uh, rabbi guy, can you tell me what I must do to inherit eternal life? And as a powerful, uh, I'm sure influential kind of guy, I'm sure he looked at this rabbi teacher and was like, let me butter him up. Like I'm a ruler, I got it going on, you know, I, I, that kind of thing. And let me just... Let me just say, hey, you're awesome, by the way. Can you tell me what I must do to inherit eternal life so that he could be told what he wanted to hear? Oh, man, you're good. Like, look at you. You've got it going on. Look at you, man. But that's not what Jesus says. He sees right through his flippant phrase of good teacher, and he says, hey, hold on. I don't know that you know what you're saying. Because if you knew what you were saying, you would be really dialed into what I'm about to tell you. And as we'll find out, he wasn't. So you know the commandments. And he lists five of them. And and the, the Ten Commandments are structured in such a way where the first three and maybe arguably the first four are structured around our relationship with God and the rest are, are structured around our relationship with people. And so when Jesus was asked, hey, what, what kind of sums up the law? What did he say? 
to love God and to love people. That's what the Ten Commandments talk about. Jesus was uh, re-emphasizing the importance of that and really getting to the heart of what that meant. And so Jesus tells them, hey, um, have you, you know the, you know the commandments. And, and Paul tells us in Romans that the law was given so that we would recognize our own sin. So that when we come before God, we wouldn't get it twisted. We wouldn't be, uh, surprised when we look at what God would want and we see ourselves and we see a gap. But is that what happened with this man? This ruler? He's like, oh, yeah, man, like, I've got that. I've got that. I've got it all handled. I've been doing that since I was a kid. I've got it all in order. But, you know, I don't know about you, but when we don't get it, when I don't get it, may we thank God when he does to us what Jesus is about to do with this man. So he goes on Luke chapter 18, uh, verse 22 Remember, verse 21, he said, I have kept all these for my youth, he said. Verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he told him, you still lack one thing. Sell all you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. After he heard this, he he became extremely sad because he was very rich. So he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he's speaking to the life, the truth. And Jesus looks at him and says, I've noticed there's something in your life that you're holding on to. And if you want to receive and if you want to inherit eternal life, you've got to let go of that thing that is now your God right now. Because one of the first first three or four commandments that he did not list was uh, basically the essence of loving God, right? Because the first commandment says this, Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 and 3, it says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. That's what God's saying to the Israelites. And then he says this, verse 3, do not have other gods besides me. So Jesus knew what this man's heart was. He knew exactly what was holding him captive. And he says, listen, you you may see yourself in such a way where you've got nothing wrong. But I want you to understand, you still lack one thing. You're holding on to something that you view as a God. You've never said it. You've never thought about it that way. But in all actuality, that is the case. And he says, hey, you need to let it go. Give it to the poor and come and follow me. So Jesus gave him an invitation to eternal life. What is eternal life? It's knowing Jesus. It's knowing God. And so he gave him the invitation. Good teacher, remember? Why do you call me good? You clearly don't understand the fact that I am the good teacher. And so he invites him to eternal life, but the man is not ready to do it. Why? Because money and it wasn't just that the, money, the guy had money. Like, we've all got some money. But it was that his money had him. Scripture says it's not money in general that's a bad thing. It's the love of money. And for those of us who have any of it, it's a very hard thing not to love. Right? Let's just be honest. Let's be real. 
because, I mean, who doesn't get excited when you get a raise? Right? Uh, no. It's exciting. And, and some researchers have done some research, because that's what they do. They're researchers. Uh, imagine that. Uh, and they got some people together, and they decided to do some, uh, some games, have some people do some games. And they were scanning their brain while they were playing these games. But the thing was that they were playing games for money. So the stakes are a little bit higher. You know, it's one thing to play some poker with chips that mean nothing, but uh, it's another thing to actually have some money on the table, right? No? Okay, no, y'all play poker. Okay, I get it. Uh, (laughs) um, And so they are playing some games for money, and this is what they found. They found that the brain scans that were happening as they were playing for money were nearly identical to the same brain scans of people who were addicts and high on cocaine. You see, our body, our brain, our our whole essence looks at money and receives it like a drug. And this is like the the scientific version. When you are dealing with money, your nucleus acumens, uh, a part of the brain that is tied to your reward circuitry, is highly, highly stimulated. This is what one of the researchers said. Brian Nutson is his name. He said, nothing had an effect on people like money, not naked bodies nor corpses. It got people riled up. Like food provides motivation for dogs, money provides it for people. And so this man, right, he had lots of money. And it's, man, you get some money and it's like, Feels good, right? Because it's like a drug. And this man had a bad relationship with his money. Because he was serving it. And, you know, by the way, I've said this before, but I'll just remind us. um, I know that when most of us read the Bible and we read about a rich person, we don't think of ourselves. Most of us at least, right? Why? Because we look around and we're like, ah, they got more money than me, you know, whatever. But I've talked about this, and and I'll just remind us all of this again, because it's a good reminder, that the median household income in Wells County is around like $55,000. And if that's around what you make in your household, you're in the top 1% of the richest people in the world. Top 1%. That means that you're richer, wealthier than 99% of the rest of the whole, whole world's population. And you're like, oh, I don't make that much. Well, even if you make like $10 an hour, work 40 hour a week job, it comes around to like 20,800. And that would put you in the top 6% of the richest people in the world. So whenever we see Jesus interacting with a rich person or scripture interacting with someone who's rich, we can think of ourselves too. And we run the risk that this man ran as well. So you can suffer greed no matter how much money you do or don't have. And so this man is holding on to something that really became a barrier to the blessing that God wanted to give him. Let me ask you this. Did God want to give this man eternal life? Yeah. Scripture says that God's will is that no one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That means God loves everyone and he puts his money where his mouth is. He paid the price. Why? Because God the Son came down, paid all of our sins on the cross, rose again, defeating sin and death, making a way for all of us to receive forgiveness, to be redeemed, to be ransomed for him. 
And so Jesus looks at this man and says, hey, you've got something that's holding on to you and I'm encouraging you to let your hands down, let go of it because you are not going to be able to receive what I'm going to give you if you don't let go because your hands are too full. You've got another God besides me. And so Jesus challenges him to let go of it and receive. You see, the interesting thing about uh, this is that he, he said that he lacks one thing. And I'm curious for all of us, what is, if Jesus were looking at you right now, and we're having this conversation, it's you and Jesus, that's it. And he looked at you and he said, you still lack one thing. What would be your one thing? What would be the thing that you haven't let go of? Let, let go of? What's the thing you've not released to him and surrendered to him? We've all got our stuff. And I'm sure it's more than one thing. Right? At least it is for me. And it's a, it's a daily repentance where we say, God, I'm, I'm starting to grasp a hold of something I don't need to be grasping hold of. Please help me. I, I, I repent. I go away from that. I'm going back to you. It's a daily thing that we get to do. And we're covered by the blood of Jesus if you follow Jesus. And that's a good thing. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But he's also calling us to enjoy the abundance that he wants to give us. And we have to let go of the things that hold us down if we want to receive it. You see, Jesus wanted him to be freed so that he could love the least of these. See, he said, hey, get, give away all your money to the poor. Jesus also said later in the book of Matthew that the things that you do for the least of these, you do for me. And so he was inviting this man to a place of radical generosity. He was inviting him to join in the adventure and the mission that he has started. Let me, let me give you a, a, maybe a little illustration that might help this whole distinction because he says, you know, you'll enjoy treasure in heaven. This man had a treasure right now. Let me ask you this, uh, and this is not a trick question, okay? Uh, and I know some of you think it's just a trick question. But if I were to give you uh, a choice, and maybe some of you have heard this, if I gave you a choice of either a million dollars today, everybody perked up, okay? Or a penny today, that doubled every day for 30 days, which one would you choose? I, I, wanted, I wanted a little participation in here, okay? So if you would take the million dollars today, again, this is not a trick question, okay? Uh, to each their own. A million dollars today, uh, raise your hand if you take a million dollars today. Okay? Two brave souls, okay. All right. Those of you at home, did you raise your hand? Okay. Um, <laughs> Or, okay, so everyone's taking the penny that doubles every day for 30 days. Because some of y'all have heard this before. Math nerds are like, yep, give me that. Okay, let me, let me tell you this, okay? This is usually used to describe compound interest, but I'm going to hijack it and use it for something different, okay? So if you got a penny today and doubled every day for 30 days after seven days, guess how much you'd have? 64 cents. Cash and money. Amen. Don't spend it all in one place. After day 14, two weeks, you'd have $81.92. Still feeling good about your choice. Cash money millionaires would be like, yep, I'm good. I took the million now. Day 21, you got $10,485.76. Cool, you can get a new car to you. Still used. Okay? Day 28, 
I'm feeling pretty good now. But let's just say, you know, you got a little nervous about the market, you know, after day 28. You're like, you know, I feel like I've made some pretty good money, you know. It's like when you went to Vegas and you were like, I'm going to spend $20 and that's it. And you made some, you're like, I'm going to spend a little bit more. Mm. Uh, I I don't know if some of y'all gamble, but it's between you and God, okay? Uh, And and you're like, you know what, let me just take my money out of the stock market today because I feel pretty good about my return. It's better than what I would have had if I would have just taken the million dollars at the beginning of the month. But then you miss out on day 29, day 20, day 30, and day 30 would bring you $5,368,709.12. Start with a penny. That's a pretty good return on investment, right? If you're getting 100% return on your investment, man, your financial advisor deserves an award or needs to go to jail, one or the other. <laughs> right? <laughs> the latter. So Jesus says, give away all your money now. And follow me, and you will have treasure in heaven. Well, it's kind of like this, right? Giving away all that you have, letting go of all the stuff that you've earned, that you've tried to work hard for, and it's rightly yours, even though God's the one who provides it. Grant that. You earned it. You give it away. You start with nothing. Maybe Jesus lets you have a penny. But you see, treasure in heaven is of much worth, much more worth than the treasure here. It has a much better investment opportunity, much better return on investment, just like that illustration. Like, you may not see it right now, you may not see it right away, but eventually what you will find is that treasure in heaven, eternal life in the presence of Jesus is so much better than anything else this world could offer, no matter how many zeros are behind it. And so... Jesus is inviting this man to say, hey, um, follow me, trust me, and the thing that you're holding on to, that's a barrier between you and the blessing. Friends, may we not have barriers that are between us and the blessing. May we not build those things up, but we oftentimes try to. And we've got things that we need to let go. So this man being rich and powerful, I'm sure just like a lot of us who, you know, we're about American ingenuity, we got independence, we can do this, hoorah, I can, I will, I'll make it happen. We've got that kind of comfort level of depending on our own actions and our own strength, and that's exactly where this ruler was. So let me ask you this, what gives you value? What gives you value? This ruler who had a lot of money clearly found his value in his position of power, and his, and his possessions. And this is a good lesson for any of us who may be in a leadership position in our workplace or home or whatever. They've, they've also done some research on what power does to our bodies, what power does to our brain. And what they found is that when someone feels strength and power over another person, it lowers the ability, they call it the mirror system in our brains. And this is the foundation for empathy. And so what they found is that as you are in power and in influence over other people, there's an easy temptation, an easy pathway to become less empathetic and much more concerned about your own ideas, your own uh, perspectives, and to dismiss and now not love those who you are leading. And I don't know if that was what's going on with this ruler, but it's reasonable to maybe consider. Verse 24, Jesus goes on, and uh, Luke says this about what Jesus said. Seeing that he became sad, 
So again, right after he heard this, he became extremely sad because he was very rich. He had a lot to lose, and he looked at it as a loss, not a gain. Seeing that he became sad, Jesus said, How hard it is it it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. He said it as a statement. How hard is it? How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel, a big old camel, to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Y'all got to see the humor in Scripture. Jesus is making a joke, but he's making a point, too, with the joke. Those who heard this asked, then who can be saved, Jesus? Who can be saved? He replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Then Peter said, look, we have left what we had and followed you. So he said to them, truly I tell you, there is no one who has left a house, wife or brothers or sisters, parents or children, because of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more at this time and eternal life in the age to come. So they had a belief in the first century Jewish world that if you had money, that was a sign that God blessed you. Very similar to some of the people you see on TV or on YouTube preaching a prosperity gospel. That if you have faith, God will give you an abundance of blessings. And what they mean by that is a big bank account. And that's what they believed back then too. But the problem was Jesus looked at this rich man who clearly... Clearly was blessed by God. Clearly had it going on. Clearly was in God's good graces and told him to put it all away. Give it all away. Put it all down and follow me. And so, rightly so, right? Peter's like, hey, I'm speaking for everybody right now um, because that's what I do. Who can even be saved then? If it's not the rich guy who has it all going on and is clearly blessed by God, then who is able to be saved? And so Jesus looks at them and says, with man, it is impossible. It's impossible for us to receive inherit, inherit eternal life. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. See, there was a problem with this man's question. I don't know if you caught it at the beginning. Good teacher, what must I? What's it, what, what, what did they say, church? Good teacher, what must I? Doo-doo. I hear a bunch of doo-doo. Okay. <laughs> That's funny. It's a good doo-doo joke in church. Um, what must I do? What must I do? Uh, friends, Jesus is trying to get this guy to understand. Yes, you've achieved a lot. Yes, you've accomplished a lot. Yes, you've got a lot of money. Yes, you've got a lot of influence. You've got a lot of the things that we look at, and when we don't have it, we're like, I wish I had that. I wish I had success. I wish I had power. I wish I had money. I wish I had... All the things, all the status. And he's saying, listen, all that, put it aside. Put it aside. Because what's most important is that you understand that this is not about achieving, it's about receiving. The only way that we can receive and inherit eternal life is by receiving it. We can't do anything to earn it. And I know that there are some people... uh, either here or online or watching this or listening to this later, who maybe you have accomplished so much, you've done so many things, and you've lived like with a chip on your shoulder because somebody sometime in your past told you that you don't measure up, that you don't have it going on, that you can't accomplish it, and that's driven you to prove yourself to other people. 
It's driven you to accomplish things and, and acquire things. And, and it's all out of a desire to prove to yourself, to prove to somebody that you do measure up and you're trying to convince God that you measure up when he's telling you, I don't need you to do anything. I don't need you to bring me anything. I just want you. Because he already paid the price. He already paid the price that we need to pay. That's impossible for us to pay, for us to receive eternal life. And he's saying, listen, you need to just receive. You need to let go of what you've been trying to do. It is only by grace that we can be saved. It is only by grace that this man, this ruler, who looked at Jesus and said, tried to butter up the Son of God and tell him, uh, have Jesus tell him what he wants to hear. It is only by grace that Jesus looked at this ruler and said, listen, I know the truth about you and I'm inviting you to follow me. You just got to let go of the things that you're holding on to because God desires that none of us would have any gods besides him. And he's just inviting all of us, no matter what our thing is that brings us value, that brings us worth, that brings us our adoration, to let it go and to let him be that single thing. So he's telling him to let go of what you're holding on to and receive. The question for all of us that we have to ask ourselves, is Jesus first place on the podium of your life? Is Jesus first place on the podium of your life? Because everybody's got a podium. We've all got a podium, you know, it's like third place, second place, first place. We've all got some stuff that's trying to vie for that top spot on the podium of our lives. And every day we get an opportunity to let go of the things that are trying to vie for first place and to let Jesus take those steps and to plant himself right there on first place. Because for this man... First place was his bank account, his money, his influence. For some of us, it may be something else. Like Jesus gave us a rundown of some of the things that his followers had given up. Their house, their possessions, their business, their family, their their spouse. All the things that a lot of us are like, those are good things, but no good thing in first place is a good thing. It turns to sin when the first place thing isn't Jesus. And so Jesus looks at all of us and is asking us is, am I in first place? I mean, can you imagine the kind of freedom that we get to have? I mean, if you've struggled through something in your life, if you've gone through some stuff and God's been there with you and delivered you through that, you know how much freedom there is because no longer do you need to look to other things for your worth. No longer do you need to look to your performance review at work for your worth. No longer do you need to look at your bank account for your worth. No longer do you need to look at those things. Instead, your worth is is given to you by the God who said, I'm going to come down and pay the infinite price for you. That is your worth. Your value is what we saw on the cross of Jesus Christ. Your value is of infinite value because of the infinite God coming down to rescue you. No longer do you need to prove something to somebody. You can walk in freedom from that. 
You can walk in freedom from trying to believe that your image is the best thing or, or what you accomplish is the most important thing. Whatever it is for you, we've all got our thing that we lack, that we need to let go of. You being right, cynicism, bitterness. We've all kind of gone to those places. And, and maybe just maybe like some of the things that we're finding out about ourselves in this year Church, can, since March, I don't know about you, but I'm just going to call it out. Like, it's been really difficult for everybody in different ways. Some of us, because we were trying to cope through things, we're turning to cynicism to get us through it. Because if I can just dismiss these people, if I can just tell them how they're wrong, then I'll feel better about it myself because I won't have to deal with that. We've found ourselves getting bitter toward people because of their stances on things, their beliefs on things. And my friends, that's not what Jesus would want for us. I mean, a lot of us, you know, we're like, can I just get back to the normal? Anybody there? Can I, can I just go back to, to normal? I like that. But let me ask you a question for real. If I talk to you on March 8th, of this year. And I said, hey, for real, how's life really? How many of you would say, it's it's wonderful. I'd wish nothing would change. It's amazing. this This is basically heaven. How many? My hunch is that none of us would, right? And so I think in, in our process of trying to hold on to this hope that We'll just get back to normal really soon. And I, I'd love that too. I think we're stepping into a place where we're just trying to get through it. And maybe what God would want for us is for us to grow through it. Because, I mean, maybe like God's going to allow this and maybe he has. I don't know about you, but maybe it's shown you how much you've not been allowing the Holy Spirit to disciple you to the degree that you need to be discipled. As me. Maybe, just maybe, what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us in the midst of this is for us to allow Him to break away all the other things that have been vying for first place. All the things that we hoped in, all the things that we took for granted, all the things that we really wish would come back to normal or whatever it is, that the things that we looked at as, as man, that makes me feel good. Like, I'll tell you this, church. Like, there, there's, there are a few things that a pastor loves more than a full room. Stacked. Standing room only. And it feels good. That's, a, that's coming from a bad place. That's <laughs> pride. None of this has been what I would love. I don't like the fact that we're doing these things. I'm right there with you, church. But maybe there's an opportunity for all of us to grow through what we're going through. To maybe at the end of this, we could say, wow, I'm, I, I'm, I wouldn't go back because I don't want to experience that again. But uh, I'm so thankful that we went through it because now I am at a far different place in my faith, in my relationships. And it's in a better place. Why? Because we learned that in the midst of suffering, God's working. That scripture says that 
when we suffer, it can produce character and character produces hope. And if we have hope, we won't be let down. Like, like maybe through all this, we can allow God to strip away everything else, the things that we are holding on to, the control, and let him be first place for us to fix our eyes on him and focus on what he would want for us to learn what it looks like to love people when it's really difficult to love people like for real when we're tired we're exhausted we're frustrated nothing's like what we want it to be what if we chose to love even then it's hard I found myself saying Brandon you're getting frustrated with uh, the way people are acting and you're turning to bitterness and criticism and you're doing the same thing. So in this, I need this sermon probably more than you do. <laughs> because Jesus is the first place. He needs to be first place on the podium of our lives. And I think Jesus is trying to get us to see that he is the most important thing in all areas of life, all of it. So is Jesus first place on the podium of your life? And not just the Jesus that you've created in your head, but the Jesus of scripture, the Jesus of history, the Jesus who looks at the man in power and doesn't tell him what he wants to hear, but tells him the truth and calls him to follow him. Says the hard things to the people who he loves says to you and me, hey, I see this in your life. I'm calling you to let go of it. That's the Jesus we follow. The Jesus who invites the weary, the, the ones who need rest, invites us to come to him and rest. Also the Jesus who calls us out, out of the boat, in the midst of a storm, to walk on some water, allows us to walk on some water as long as we keep our eyes on him. The Jesus who loves us gave himself for us. So church, I, I think all of scripture describes a journey that we all have to take and that can really be summarized in one word. And that one word is surrender. Surrender to Jesus, three words. So whatever it is that we've got, we can let go of whatever it is in our heart the exhaustion the frustration we can let go and give it to him and maybe just maybe God would give us a softened heart full of compassion and empathy for other people who are going through a lot for each other for ourselves and maybe just maybe we would be the people God's called us to be. Church, would you stand? We're going to pray and we will sing out to our amazing God. I just encourage you to wrestle with that this week. Is Jesus first place on the podium of your life? And again, if you follow Jesus, you've surrendered to him. That's not a place of condemnation because for those who are in Christ, there's no, now no condemnation, none. But he's still calling us to surrender to him in every area of life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for looking at us, seeing us for exactly who we are, knowing our wounds, knowing our hardships, knowing our struggles, 
knowing the idols that we worship, knowing the the hardship that we've been under. And you see us and you have compassion on us. We're so grateful for that, Lord. We're thankful for your son Jesus who looked at us, saw us, came down to rescue us, loved us, paid the price for us, rose again so that one day we could rise with him as well. Father, please speak to our hearts. Hear us as we proclaim your goodness to you. May it be pleasing to you. And even if we're at home, wherever we are, God, I pray that you would uh, be pleased with our worship as we sing out to you. Even if it doesn't sound good to us, we know that it sounds good to you. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.